If you're just joining us, we're in, we're in week five of a, a week six series, and we've been going through this habits acrostic together. And um, so we started week one with uh, the idea that we're to hang out with God, letter H, spend some time with God, practice his presence, um, make that a regular habit in our lives. Week two is A, attending church, and it's so much more than just putting a behind in a seat, right? It's, it's about my sword is, is for my enemies, my shield is for my brother and my sister. And we fight together and, and uh, we need each other, we need us. Um, third week was the letter B, being generous. We talked about giving God our tithes, not with just our money, but with all of who we are, everything that we are. God deserves us. And um, it's a way of worshiping him. Being generous is a way of doing that. It's a habit that we need to develop in our life. And then with the amazing and passionate Shannon Williams that was here last week, it was, um, I, I watched it after I got back from men's retweet. Retweet. <laughs> I've been on Twitter a little bit too, too much. Um, <laughs> but I was so... So thankful for Shiana and her family, um, and she talked about last week investing in healthy relationships. This week, we're going to talk about, um, for the letter T, telling my story. And so we have the greatest story in the world to tell, but yet so many of us kind of leave this out of the equation when we talk about spiritual habits. I'm, I'm going to try to give us reasons why today I think this is vital in the life of every believer, not just the pastors or ministry team leaders in the church, but all of us. So, and the feedback for this series has been so good. We're, what we're going to do is we're going to come back for week seven. Uh, week six will be our last uh, in the series itself, but we're going to come back week seven and we're leaning into doing a panel discussion to kind of wrap this all up, to grab some people um, who have made uh, these habits a part of their life and just um, um, hear from them. So st stay plugged in for that. It's going to be a, a great weekend. Uh, let's stand and read our key uh, scripture for today. It's found in Acts chapter uh, 9, verse 15. Uh, let's read it all together this morning. Read it out loud. It's uh, one verse. You ready? One, two, three. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Say chosen instrument. Chosen instrument. Say carry my name. Carry. <laughs> Father God, Thank you that we are chosen instruments to carry your name. God, we just, we just pray this morning that um, you would ignite that fire inside of us. Your holiness burns inside of us. We are image bearers of who you are. God, we thank you for it. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So leading up to chap the, the chapter that we're going to spend most of our time in today um, and is Acts chapter 8, and we see that racial reconciliation is a gospel-driven idea. We've talked about that in here before, that God created us all, every race, every tribe, every language, every tongue, we are made in the image of God, right? And so he redeemed us all. He came for the humanity of all colors on planet Earth, and he gave his life for every single one of us. Can I get an Amen. That, that means that we become brothers and sisters with all kinds of people um, in, that are in faith in Jesus Christ, and we're willing to go anywhere and to serve anybody to share the gospel with all people, amen, because we see everybody has dignity. And so everyone has value, everyone is significant, and everyone stands equal at the foot of the cross, everyone. And so what Philip's doing in chapter 8 uh, the chapter before we're going to spend our time in this morning is what we all need to be doing. And so he's understanding that the engine of the gospel of grace 
is what breaks down barriers of racial tension because it clarifies for us the value and the dignity of people. And so Philip kind of plows through that barrier and the gospel goes from Jerusalem with the Jews and explodes into the world of the Sumerians. And we see that happen in such a beautiful way. And then the next thing that Philip does is he blows open the continental barrier and he meets up with an Ethiopian man And in this moment, the gospel seed is kind of planted in in Africa. And so, I mean, God is blowing doors wide open in the story that we're we're reading here. And as he's doing that, we turn the page into chapter 9, and we're thinking, man, life is good. The gospel is going forward. The promise is coming. Everything is happening on course. But look how chapter 9 opens. It says, meanwhile... Meanwhile, what does meanwhile mean? It means that while things are looking good over here, something bad is cooking up. That's the story we're walking into, and that's our lives, right? Sometimes that we get on a track, things start looking good, it's smooth water, you feel like, you know, most everything's working the way it's supposed to be working, and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, out of the nowhere, something else flares up, and normally it seems like in life, it kind of comes in parallel tracks. While God's really blessing this over here, something else is stirring up that's really hard over here. Have you ever experienced that in life? And, and, and it's like, man, we finally got the job. We, we, we finally uh, got our kids home. We finally got over the sickness or this disease. We finally got through this challenge or whatever. And then as soon as we're celebrating that and all that God is doing, all of a sudden here comes this sort of equal measure difficulty that the enemy likes to try to come in and steal that light, right? Try to steal that, what, what God is doing. And so that's what's happening in these earliest days. Chapter 8, doors are being opened. They're being flung wide open. The gospel is exploding. And chapter 9 starts with, meanwhile. <laughs> meanwhile. And so meanwhile what? Meanwhile, trouble comes in. And the trouble coming in is in the name of a person named Saul. And we meet him earlier in Acts when they stoned Stephen to death. And so they, they laid their coats at the name of a man named Saul. And Saul is the ringleader of the persecution of the story of Jesus and those that were carrying it in the earliest days. And so the first verse we read, So meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And so while we're celebrating all that God is doing, you know, celebrating Philip and all these amazing accomplishments that God is doing through him, we still got Saul over here, and he's threatening to kill anybody who claims to follow Jesus Christ. So in chapter 9, what he's doing is he's leaving Jerusalem, he's moving north into what is Syria, um, to Damascus, which is now the capital of Syria, and has always been for centuries, it's an important city in the region. So there, there are Jews there, and there are synagogues there, and he wants to go to the synagogue and sift through the people and see if anybody in the synagogues have switched over to become followers of Jesus. And if so, he has the authority from the religious leaders of the synagogues to drag them out of their homes, out of their businesses, and back to Jerusalem, and imprison them and persecute them for their faith. And so the gospel is spreading, but guess what else is spreading? The, the, the hatred of the gospel is spreading. And so the light is moving forward, and the darkness is trying to contain it, and spoiler alert, it can't. <laughs> okay? You get the end of the story? All right. So here's, here's the first narrative of our story in chapter 9 that I want us to rally around today. If you're taking notes, flip over to the backside of your bulletin. You can follow along with them. Uh, that when all hell breaks loose, God is still solidly in control. God is still solidly 
in control. Now, I want to really make sure that you understand I'm not saying that just conversationally today um, like we do in life. I'm saying that literally. All the powers of darkness is being released against the story of the resurrection of Jesus. The enemy is seeing what's happening, you know, what's happening in the story of chapter 8, and they're saying all hands on deck. All that we can marshal in this moment to stamp out and to snuff out uh, the story of the resurrection of Jesus. We can already see people are getting healed. They're getting saved. Thousands of lives are being changed. A church is being born. Cities are being transformed. If we don't stop this now, this might spread around the entire world. And they're shaking in their booties. Talk about trembling. There it is. That's what's happening. And so a cloud of opposition is now hanging in the air, and Saul is the personification, if you will, of the darkness that's wanting to crush the story of Jesus. And it says um, he asked for letters in the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, if you don't know what's coming, this chapter is absolutely mind-boggling. I absolutely love Acts chapter 9, because all the darkness is now, you know, trying to pose this threat. It's coming. Persecution is coming. Hardship is coming. Murderous threats, it says in the opening verse, are being breathed out. But God wants you to know something about that day, when it all looks bleak, and when it's seemingly all falling apart, your God and my God is still in complete and total control of the world. He is, and, and your life, and, and of his story in your life. And so meanwhile, this guy is coming to kill us, and God says, yeah, well, watch this. <laughs> watch what's going to happen. Watch what I'm going to do. And so just like that, this light flashes, and around Paul, and he's not even inside the city limits of Damascus yet, and Jesus stops him in his tracks and blinds him with the glory of heaven. Talk about the story of light this morning, right? The, the glory of heaven and the story changes just like that. That's, the, that's a turnaround point in the story. And so, so I, I want you to know today that it may be your family that's cracked apart. You may be cracking apart. You may be sitting in darkness. There may have been a phone call this week or a conversation this week or some diagnosis that came this week. And all of a sudden, it seems like there's a cloud that is just hanging over you or in your business or in your thinking. And I'm telling you that God is a God who is an absolute and total control over every situation. And, and he didn't say, here's, here's, here's where you might shout a little bit. He didn't say, you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. He said, you will be my witnesses. He didn't say, you might receive power. He said, you will receive power. He didn't say, I might build my church. He said, I'm going to build my church. And, and in that moment, he just jumped in to say, don't forget my promises because I'm about to light this city up. <laughs> don't forget my promises. And so now we've said before that there are times that he doesn't instantly change things. And when that happens, he's still working. He has a plan. He works in us. And he, is, he still does miracles. Even when he doesn't instantly change things according to our timeline and our perspective. But he wants us to see today that he is always God. 
and he is always in control, and he is always working his plan for our good. He just stopped this story mid-sentence, and he says, yes, the guy's coming, breeding murderous threats, I, you know, I, but watch this. It's going to be amazing. Boom. <laughs> light and glory from heaven. His glory comes. Light from heaven appears, and it stops everything. Stops, stops Saul in his tracks because our God decides when and where and how he accomplishes what he wants to do. Amen? And, and, and so God is committed, let me say it this way, to your good. He is committed to your good and he is committed to his glory today. And he is on the scene and in the story and he's at work and he has a plan and it's going to happen. And so what God has planned for you his promises are not dead. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so the second thing, the big part of the narrative of the story today is that Paul ran smack into Jesus. So we see that when all hell breaks loose, God is still in control. But we also see this kind of pivotal moment in all our spiritual journeys. It's not when we start going to church, but it's the moment where we meet Jesus face to face. And that's what happens in the story. There's that pivotal moment on this journey. The light shines all around Paul, and it's not like some nebulous, you know, I don't know what just kind of happened kind of thing. It, it wasn't this, you know, I just, I just had some spiritual understanding. It wasn't like that. It was a very specific and personal thing that was happening to Paul, and it was a light shone around him. The scripture says, he fell to the ground in verse 4 and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? See how personal this gets right away? Calling him by name. And then Saul replies, he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Now, I love that because we don't know that he really knows what's going on yet, but he knows something's going on. It's like, I'm going to call him Lord just in case <laughs> my base is covered. <laughs> something's going on that's different. And Paul, Paul doesn't even know who Jesus is yet. He just knows that you're bigger than me. You're higher than me. You're more glorious than me. You're holier than me. You're different than me. You're other than me. Who are you, Lord is what comes out of his mouth. And so the authority of Jesus in, is, is a theme in the book of Acts. And at the end of the day, it's not just the power of Holy Spirit working in our lives, which is real and present, but it's our obedience to Holy Spirit working in our lives. And so, I, I mean, Paul gets it and, and he's like, who are you, Lord? And listen to the answer. It's not this long, complicated religious answer. It's a very specific and personal answer. Jesus says, I am Jesus. <laughs> I am Jesus. How awesome is that? It's, that's what you need. Here I am, Saul. I'm Jesus. And that's what you need. We need a moment where it's not religion, where it's not, it, it's not anything else, but it's a revelation of the Son of God in my life. The revelation of the Son of God in your life. And, and, and so he just says, I am Jesus. And he's standing in front of, 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 of you, not Saul, this morning. He's standing in front of you and he's saying, Bob, if that's your name. He's saying Terry. He's saying Judy. He's saying Kathy. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden we're arrested. And we realize that something is bigger and more glorious than we are. And, and so that night, for me, it happened at a youth conference in Minnesota. I was, I was familiar. I was about junior high age. I was familiar with all the information about God, but I hadn't fully decided who God was yet. We were at a youth conference, um, stadium seating. We were up in the back section, kind of up in the top left. I remember it very vividly because it was a very big glory of God type of moment. 
I had actually just been, um, <laughs> story for another time, I had actually just been kicked out of a Christian school. <laughs> That's your pastor, yes. Um, not kicked. I was suspended, right? Correct, it. Correct me, Dad. You can ask Dad if we get all the information, all the details later. Um, but uh, I was suspended for, for some poor moral choices, that I, and, and that just happened just previous to this trip. And, um, you know, I'd grown up in the church, and um, this moment for me was the moment where God just kind of walked into my life, and he said, I'm, I'm Jesus. <laughs> and it was like... I, I went to my knees that night. The worship band was going, and I don't remember what songs they were singing. I don't even I don't remember who preached or what was taught that night. But all I remember was Jesus revealing himself to me. And so I was down on my knees longer than anybody should be down on their knees because, you know, if you've ever been down on your knees, how painful that can be <laughs> pretty quickly, right? I was down on my knees for an hour and a half, I was told. And I, this was a concrete floor, think stadium seating, down on my knees. And when I opened up my eyes, it was steps like this, you know, going down. When I opened up my eyes, what I remember was, you know, like a a pool of tears that had dampened my jean legs. And it was like, almost like a river that was falling, falling down near the stairs because I had had an encounter and Jesus said, I am, I am Jesus. And so that, that moment for me, what happened to me is that in that row of chairs, you know, he says, right now I want you to choose a road and I want you to choose me. I want you to choose me. And I, and I cried rivers that night. I, and then, you know, he's, he's not, here's who Jesus is. He's not going to force his way into our lives. He's going to come and say, this is the way that I want you to go. You're going to, and, and he says, this is the way to life. This is the way to fullness. Would you, you know, choose this. And so that night for me, my faith became my own. It wasn't just mom and dad's. Um, it was a wrecking that happened to me that night. Holy Spirit just you know that phrase, he just wrecked me. He just wrecked me. And I, I, I came away from that experience just having a very intimate knowledge of who Jesus, the Son of God, was that night. And so, you know, if, 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 he, he came to me and said, you know, if you want to, you can choose and follow me. And I'm, I'm on the road that leads to fullness of life. And man, that just sounds good to me. In fact, John 10.10, 10, that's a life verse for me. Um, Jesus came to give life and life more abundant, right? Let's walk in that. Who doesn't want that? And so that night for me is what clarified the who. And my response wasn't, I want to be a better Christian. You know, my response wasn't that, you know, I want to get more involved in ministry. My response was simply, Jesus, I choose you. I choose you. And, and I really believe that the trajectory of my life changed that night. Everything shifted and everything changed. It wasn't just, you know, mom and dad's faith. It was beginning to be more of a personal journey for me. And from that moment forward, I have been far from perfect in following Jesus on the road. But from that moment forward, I have been on that road following Jesus. And it's those moments that are at the epicenter of our story of faith. Amen. And so if, you're still, if your story of faith is still... Um, the church that you grew up in, or the, the religion that you ascribe to, or the denomination that your family is a part of, or the fact that you even come to Destiny Foursquare Church. That's not the full story. The story will be complete when you say there was a day when everything was clarified for me. Jesus walked in, and, he, and, and my eyes were open, and I saw Jesus, and I knew that he had a way for me. And above all the ways in the world, I'm going to say, Jesus, I choose yours. And so... This is what all of us are looking for, and this is the invitation of Jesus that is extending to all of us in the room today. And you might be on a road to a bad place, but here's the amazing thing. 
Jesus, likes, what he likes to do is he gets up on that road ahead of us, and you're thinking, well, I'm going to Damascus. I'm going to, you know, go to wreck some havoc. I've got some murderous threats on my breath. But Jesus, right before you get to the city limits, is said, we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> and um, I'm going to say to you, I am Jesus, and then it's all going to change, right? And so we keep on reading, and Jesus clarifies even more in the Scripture. And he says, I'm the one that you're persecuting, by the way, Saul. And so he said, you're focused on the people, but the people have had an encounter with me. And so they're just ambassadors of the king, and I'm the king of the ambassadors <laughs> that they're the ambassadors of. So you're nervous about their story and their resurrection. And he's saying, check the scars out, man. Check out the scars. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who triumphed over death and hell and the grave and sin. I am Jesus. And, and it's not them that's your problem. <laughs> you know, I, this is just kind of a, I imagine how the conversation is playing in Saul's mind. It's me that's your problem. <laughs> you know, because you might kill them, but you can't kill Jesus. You know, you, you might stop them or slow them down, but you can't stop Jesus or slow him down. And so <laughs> it's the picture of, hello, Saul, I'm Jesus. I know you have plans, but I have a different plan for you, and it's great to meet you. <laughs> Let's change your narrative. Let's change your story. And I don't know what happened after that. I don't know how it went down, but I know that Paul got saved. <laughs> he had a glory moment. I don't know exactly how it all worked out in the details, but he met Jesus in that moment, and right there and then, and he was done with his previous plans. They were done, and, and because he saw Jesus, and he had a revelation of the Son of God. And so... The third narrative in this story is that God wants to put us in the story, in his story. We're going to meet a disciple next. His name is Ananias. Verse 5, Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. That's because when you meet Jesus, you're blinded by his glorious light, right? So they led him by hand. Isn't that a powerful picture of the beauty of the grace of God? You go from shaking your fist at God to having your friends leading you by the hand towards his presence and his plans for your life. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's the breaking of the heart right there. It's the humility of the heart. It's, you know, it's the, you know, man, what was I thinking? I was, I was running the world there for a minute, and now I just met the one who's actually running the world. <laughs> and, and I can't even see. So I, I, I have my friends leading me by the hand. Some of you are going to put your faith in Jesus, and your friend is going to lead you by the hand on a journey of discovering who Jesus is in your life. And we need that. That's why we need us. And you've, you've been thinking, no, I don't, I, I don't need you to lead me by the hand, bro. I've got this. Because we're good at that. We're good at isolation. We're good at insulation. And today you're going to go, would you lead me by the hand? Because I don't have a clue about this Jesus guy or what his plans are for my life. I just met him. And I'm going to need you to walk me into a future with him. That's what's happening here. And let's keep on reading. It says, so they led him by hand, blind, into Damascus. And it says, for three days he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Um, that's all we know about him, by the way. 
Um, you can Google it when you get home. <laughs> um, do some research. Go dig around. Have an archaeological field trip if you want. This is basically what we know. There was a disciple in Damascus who had converted to faith in Christ. He had heard the story of the resurrection of Jesus. He put his faith in Jesus. He was just a guy in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord called to him. Okay? That's pretty much the picture we have. But this is powerful. God called him in a vision, and he said, yes, Lord. Great answer, by the way. He said, yes, Lord. And, and here's, let's keep on reading. The Lord said, go to a house, the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man named Tarsus from Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore, to restore his sight. So did you notice God didn't need anybody to blind Paul, to blind Saul. He didn't need anybody to give him his sight back either. He, he doesn't need people to do anything, but he chooses people to do a lot of amazing things. And, and, and so there are people in your story right now, and in my story right now, that they're praying a prayer that they don't even know that maybe is even a prayer. And they're saying things like, Lord, I need help. Or they're just screaming out, help. I need an answer. I need to know what to do with my family. I need, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the week. And I need to know whether there is a God or not, whether you're real or not. Lord, I need to know how to figure out how to talk to you. Help. They're praying that prayer. They're praying. And then over here, Maybe you're in the place and you're praying, you're having a conversation with God, and God is a master at connecting our prayers. And last week, some of you left praying this place, talking about investing in, in, in healthy relationships. Lord, I'm available. I'm available to invest in whoever you put in my path, like Shannon was talking about, and I want you to give me courage to step into that moment and take a chance and to ask the question and to care for somebody. Open that door for me. And you didn't know that the other person was praying, Lord, please bring somebody in my life who has enough courage to just tell me what I need to hear. And then your two prayers meet and God does the supernatural and the miracle takes place. That's how it works. And so some of you know, some of you know my friend, our friend Bill Boylan, who's up here this morning. He likes to go to McDonald's. He calls it McChurch. Yeah. <laughs> And he just asked God to lead him to the right people and the right conversations. He told us a story. I won't share it this morning. But he told us a story about, about this at men's retreat where God had used him just this week. And I was thinking as Bill was sharing this story, that's, that's what this is all about. That's what we're talking about right here. Our story intersecting with somebody else's story, intersecting with the God's story, the story of Jesus in our lives. And, and it can be super scary, can it, to, be, to step out and just do what God is asking us to do. It can be, right? But listen, Holy Spirit, listen to this. Holy Spirit does not plan things that aren't in the purpose and the plan of God. So if you hear Holy Spirit speaking into your, into your spirit, man, what's going to be the fruit of that if you walk it out? What's going to happen? So, so be obedient when you hear his voice. Be obedient. And maybe it looks like, you know, rejection on the surface when you go and you're, you're obedient and you do what God told you to do and they're just like, they, they kind of respond in a different way. But here's the thing. Just, just walk away knowing that God was on that scene because you are a carrier and you're an image barrier. 
right? So God was on that scene in that moment, and maybe he's going to use that small, what you think is insignificant interaction to just wreck their life for Jesus. Regardless, you can walk away saying, thank you, God, for letting me be a part of your story. Amen? And so God doesn't need to invite us into the story, but he chooses to invite us. And he shows us that we have roles to play in his story. And he says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. There's a guy named Saul, and he's looking for you because he's already seen you in a dream. A guy named Ananias. And that's your name if you didn't know that, Ananias. (laughs) And so when you get there, he'll be, okay, this is the guy. And you're going to lay hands on him, and he is going to see you. Now, can you imagine having Holy Spirit speak that into your, into your mind? So Ananias, he's a little concerned. Now, put yourself in his position. You know, I'm not saying he didn't believe God, but I like, I like how this story plays out in Scripture. He says, well, I, I just want to clarify. Lord, have you heard the reports of this guy? <laughs> have you heard of the reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem? And that he's come here to Damascus with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. <laughs> and so, like me, like, so, so I'm, I'm, not say, I'm not saying I'm not going. I'm just asking for some clarity here. <laughs> and so he's saying what I've said before. And I have a feeling what you've said before. When God has invited you into the story, you've probably said something similar to these three uh, words in a question. Are you sure, God? <laughs> Are you sure? You ever said that? I heard you, God, but let me just, you know, restate. So you want me to go to Africa? (laughs) Is that what you said? (laughs) So you want me to go to the summer project in Honduras? You want me to say what to that person eating the chicken sandwich? (laughs) Are you sure? And then we start coming up with, a, with our own arguments, which kind of internally, grandma's not feeling too well, and, you know, I don't really have enough money to do what you're asking me to do, and, you know, I was planning on going to summer school, and, well, you know, my mom's not going to really understand me going to Honduras for the summer, <laughs> and it's dangerous there, and there's no pure bean or Black Hills blend there that I've heard, so I don't know if this is my calling, Jesus. <laughs> right? Are you sure? Ananias is asking, are you sure? Like, this guy is coming to kill me. You know what Ananias' name means? It means favored of the Lord. He was named favored of the Lord. And so God said, I just want to pick you, Ananias. You're favored. And I want to give you this amazing opportunity to go to Judah's house and go to Straight Street to a guy named Saul of Tarsus. You lay hands on him and he's going to have sight. And well, yeah, you know, he's coming to breathe out murderous threats, but don't worry, he's blind right now, so you're going to have an advantage. Right? And the key for Ananias and the key for you and me was his willingness to believe. That God can change anybody at any time, at any place. At McChurch. That if God says you're going to lay hands on him and he's going to receive his sight, then guess what? You're going to lay hands on him and he's going to receive his sight. And if we don't believe, then we write off people. Oh, right, that guy, uh-huh, right, he's never coming to Jesus. Uh, or we avoid people. Well, that guy hates me. 
and probably would kill me <laughs> if he had the authority from the chief priest to do it. So I'm definitely steering clear. While we're afraid of people in our context, you know, where we live, I'm talking about, you know, our neighbor down the street. That's why we had a conversation about our neighbors, because we can live in fear of the person that's living in the house next to us. And we're saying, well, I'm not going to go over there. It's uncomfortable. Instead of having a sense and a belief that if you want me to get involved with somebody who seems unreachable, well then, okay, I'm going to step into that plan that you have for me, Jesus. Why? Because God can invert stories in a heartbeat. God can, he can turn it around and there's no one in your life that couldn't be sitting next to you in worship this next week celebrating the power of Jesus just like you did today. And you're like, oh, you haven't met my dad. (laughs) No, I haven't. But I don't think he's going, you know, I'm going to Rapid City today and I'm going to arrest all the Christians either. There is power in our belief and in our trust in God that allows us to step into his story. So Ananias said yes to what God asked him to do. And he was real, like you. He didn't go, oh, great, yeah, no problem. I'm going to go and lay hands on the murderer. <laughs> he said, are you sure? But then God reassured him. You know our God is a reassuring God? God reassured him, but have you ever noticed that God's reassuring can sometimes be very short and specific? (laughs) So if you're looking for somebody to coddle you into the will of God, you know, it's probably, it's maybe not going to happen. And he's not going to say, you know, oh, you can do it. I do. You can do it. Ananias, you're going to find that house. You're going to go up those stairs and knock on that door. You're going to walk through the door like a man on fire. You're going to walk on hot coals. You know, you're going to walk across broken glass. You're going to succeed and not fail. You can do this. That, that's what, you know, hopefully your friend is telling you over coffee. We need each other. That's, that's us, right? But God is in the conversation. And so when we say, are you sure? Here's his response. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm like, sure about what exactly? Which part? Because, you know, the part that I blinded him on the road already before he got to Damascus. What about the part that I revealed myself to him and he couldn't see for three days? You know, the part where I created him, the part, the part where I rose from the dead, which part are you not sure about? Because I think I can answer the question. The part where I'm running the universe, the part where I'm in charge of all things, that part, which part of are you sure? Oh, yes, I'm sure. I'm real sure. And look at how he just brings that down to such a big hug for Ananias. But the Lord said, so are you ready for the reply to the question? He said, are you sure? Here's the reply. You ready? Chapter 9, verse 15. You ready? Get ready. (laughs) The Lord said to Ananias, go. Go. So I think we've confused God and Dr. Phil or some kind of somehow merged the two. (laughs) We merged them together in our mind. And so it's like we're going to get an hour on the couch and he's going to listen to our feelings and try to make us feel better. Nope, he's like, go, this is going to be amazing. Just wait. Go. And then he tells him why it's going to be amazing. He said, this man, he's not going to kill you. This is what he's going to do. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So he's going to blow it up. Samaria, that was amazing. The Ethiopian um, unit going to Africa with the gospel, amazing. Amazing. But this guy is going to take the gospel 
to all the people who don't think that they deserve a chance with me in the whole world. This guy is going to take the message to the worst of the worst who have no religious footing, and he's going to tell them about my grace. This guy is going to stand before kings, and he does just a few chapters later, King Agrippa. This guy is going to take the gospel to the whole house of Israel. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name. So Ananias went and he entered the house. He placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, because he knew now, okay, this guy's with us. He's a brother. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the, on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see, me, see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Hello. And all those who heard him were astonished, and they asked him, isn't this the same man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Ananias is standing there with his mouth open. <laughs> and, and, and you're going, wow, 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 wow. I just prayed for him. I just prayed for him. <laughs> I, I was, I was me. <laughs> I prayed for him. And so uh, now I, I imagine Ananias is standing in heaven going, you know, oh, wow. I just, oh, wow. <laughs> I can just see him walking around there. Do you like Romans? <laughs> you like Timothy? That was me too. I prayed for him. I went to lay the hands on him. You can see now. <laughs> I was praying for them the whole time. Oh, and all those churches that started, you know, that, that was me. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was there and I laid hands on him. And, and so thank you, God, for including us in your story. Amen? <sighs> None of us are going to be included in the story if we don't believe that God can change anybody at any moment in any time by telling your story that intersects with his story. So the last thing, it's really obvious here, but it's where we land today. The clear mission of Paul, and more importantly, the clear mission for you and me. It's found in chapter 9, verse 15. This is the verse that we opened up with. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name. He is my chosen instrument to carry my name. That's the sum of God's purpose for us here on earth. We talked at length about this in the Passion and Purpose series, if you were here. And that's how simple it is. And so if for you, God's will has been complicated, I don't know if I should be a doctor or if I should be a missionary. I don't know if I should go you know, into finance or whatever. Listen, God isn't trying to trip you up on all that stuff. That's not who he is. Um, <laughs> that's, how, that's how simple this is really. And, and so that the enemy is trying to convince you that God is not a good, good father, but that he's a confusing, confusing father. And we don't sing that song here. And some people got that. God is saying to you, look, you have a passion in your heart. And I don't know what it is. Maybe you want to repair washing machines for, for the rest of your life. Well, go and repair every washing machine on the planet Earth. But here's the thing. That doesn't really matter as much as this. That what matters is what are you carrying as you go house to house to house to house, installing machine to machine to machine to machine, 
right? What are you carrying there? Because your purpose in life isn't what you do, it's what you carry. Your purpose in life isn't what you do, it's what you carry. And that simplifies it for us today. That should resolve for some of us today all the conflict and the confusion and the questions. What am I supposed to be doing? Am I in the right job? And he's happy that you got into fashion if that's what you're getting into. God, can you really, you know, get excited about that? You know, my, my friends all, they're changing the world and I'm in fashion. Is God excited about that? Here's the thing. God wants you where your passions flourish because that's where you flourish and that's how he made you. And so where you flourish, you spread life. But here's the thing. It's not about what you do. It's about what you carry. He didn't say to Paul, here's all the places that you're going to go, all the places that you're going to speak, all the people that you're going to meet, all the jobs that you're going to have, all the books that you're going to write. He just said, your job is to carry my name to people who don't think they deserve it, to, to people who think that they run the world, and to people where you came from and your circle of influence that you grew up with in the house of Israel. Carry the name of Jesus everywhere you go. And this is why this is revolutionary, because it blows up the whole conundrum of God's will for our lives, but it also, it's second nature to every one of us because we are all phenomenal name carriers. We are. We are phenomenal name carriers because we were made to be image bearers. We were made, we were created to be image bearers. We were created to image God, to bear the image of God. And we do bear the image of God. And for some of us, it's buried. But we were made to carry the image of God in this world. We were made for that. So it's not about carrying your image in this world. It's about carrying his image in this world. And that's, that's in our DNA. And that's why we as a people... Um, we gravitate towards names and towards brands, honestly, because we are really good name carriers. I did a Google search as we're wrapping this up. I did a Google search for a little game called Fortnite. And in most, most popular um, probably gaming platform that there is out there right now, and in 0.76 seconds, as Google said, I got 309 million replies. Somebody is talking about Fortnite, right? And, and so, you know what? It's a very good thing for Epic Games, the parent company, because as soon as we stop talking about Fortnite, guess what? Fortnite goes away, right? And so here's the interesting part of it. Epic Games is not paying us to talk about it. We just are. At least some of us are. <laughs> and they're counting on it. Their boardroom is banking on it. Their shareholders are counting on us to carry their name. Yeah, they can do some marketing, but word of mouth is where it's at, and that's where wildfires fires start, and that's where they spread. So it's you telling your neighbor, it's your teenager missing meals because they're playing the game and skipping classes because Fortnite. And it's, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stop doing what I'm doing right now, and I'm going to do the floss dance, however you do that, <laughs> because Fortnite. <laughs> Well, while I was at it, I did a quick Google search on Taylor Swift, one of the most popular names to carry in our country right now. Um, she's the pop music darling um, of the moment, just released a new album, 443 million replies in 0.88 seconds. Anybody hear a Taylor song or mutter her name in the last week? Come on, this is a safe place. <laughs> All right. Um, how about this? President Trump, Mr. Biden, they are counting on us to carry their names. Would, it, would you put a sign in your yard? Would you put a bumper sticker on the back of your car? Would you wear a t-shirt or wear my hat? Will you make a phone call? Will you carry my, my name for me, right? 
Top search of 2019, what's the number one thing people in the world search for on the internet so far in 2019? It's a website, Facebook. The number one searched item. You'd think people could just remember Facebook.com, but <laughs> I guess. But. So people are counting on us. And the reason why it's working for them is because we were wired from creation to carry the name of our creator to the world. We were wired to be name carrier, to be an image bearer. And if we don't carry his name, we're not going to not carry any names, if you know what I mean. We're going to pick up another name. And so we're just going to carry some other names to the world. And, and the story and the theme of God's calling on Paul and his calling on you to take up our opportunity to do whatever it is, to live out our passions. Do you see that we're God's instrument? Do you see that from that scripture? We are God's instrument, but how do we carry that out? We carry it out through whatever our instrument is. I mean, you know, maybe highlining is your thing, right? Maybe highlining is your thing. I seem to recall the story of a young man that lost his life here in Rapid City. He was a part of our youth ministry that loved God, and he had a passion for highlining that his mom and dad have now carried into creating the Slackline Park in our beautiful city, and it spread like a wildfire. It was Nehemiah's thing. It was Nehemiah's thing, and he did it well. He was getting sponsorships. He was getting pictures taken and story told in the newspaper. But just realize the whole time that Nehemiah was walking the high lines, that wasn't his purpose in life. That was an instrument in his life by which he got to carry the name of Jesus to a whole community. And when he passed away, hundreds came to his memorial service and witnessed an amazing act of forgiveness. And they had the chance to worship the God that he served. And many made decisions to follow Jesus. I don't know how we got on this conversation at men's retreat, but we did. Tom Bafuto, Tom Bafuto <laughs> has been a respected architect in our community for many years. He's designed some very well-known structures in our area. I could list some of them and you'd know them. You've, you've been there. And we were talking about it around the campfire one night, and Tom has a lot to be proud of, but in my assessment, he's a very humble man. And so one of the guys said, if that was something that I'd made, I'd be out in the parking lot with a side, like, hey, I made this. <laughs> I made this. <laughs> um, but, you know, Tom, that's not his game, and he made the comment, that thing that was built is not going to last. It could be dust in a few years. I can't speak for Tom, but I, I think that's his attitude because he knows what does last. And he carries the name of Jesus wherever he goes and through whatever he does. So he's not a pastor. He's not a church planner um, or a worship leader. He's not a professional Christian because there are no professional Christians. But he's a great name carrier for the name of Jesus. And he, yeah, come on. He's a, he's a man of incredible character and integrity with a phenomenal wife who carries, you know, those same traits. And they, they, they leave a ripple of Jesus in the fabric of the world that they live in. They are name carriers for Jesus in this region, not just an architect on mission to design great buildings and structures to help benefit us in that way. But in the story of those buildings and those structures, there, there goes a heart that's beating for the one who made it all. So as we get ready to close, uh, Doug, you can come on up. This is the plan. Go to the schools if that's where you're going every day. Go to the laundry room if that's where you're going to fix the washing machines. But carry his name to the laundry room then. Carry Jesus' name to the boardroom. Carry the name to wherever you go, wherever your God-given passion's taken you. Go there and carry the name of Jesus. Delena, use his knife. Um, she'll be here uh, second service in her family. I don't know if you saw or heard this. She won a regional health mural contest for breast uh, cancer awareness uh, a couple of weeks ago. And she's going to carry the name of Jesus to Art Alley 
here in Rapid City. Um, they're, they're revealing her mural this Friday at 11 o'clock. If you can be there, let's support that and celebrate that with her. But carry the name wherever you go. Carry the name wherever you go. And, does, and that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, have a scripture on the mural. <laughs> it, it just means that you have to live your life in such a way that the effect of Jesus is felt among the people around you. So when you go into the dentist's chair, so if you're going to the homeless shelter, if you're going to Hollywood, it doesn't matter where you're going. It's not where you go. It's what you carry. And we all have the power and the privilege to do what we love for the purpose of advancing the name that we love and the one that we love in this world. The name of Jesus isn't like carrying the name of Taylor Swift. It's not like carrying the name of a, a brand of clothing. The name of Jesus opened, split open hell, shut down the enemy's plans forever. And the name of Jesus terrifies the dark. Stand. We have a purpose and a passion and a calling to carry the name of Jesus wherever we go. We are image bearers. We are glory carriers. And this isn't just for, you know, pastors or the professional Christians. <laughs> this is for the church. Imagine... Imagine the power of God's glory leaving in you this morning, in you, in you, in you, in you, in you, in you, in you. As we go out into a world that is dark and broken and needs to hear and needs to see the reflection of Jesus that we carry. So Father God, thank you for the privilege it is to carry your name. God, I thank you for your work and your, your purpose uh, through this series, developing habits that can change our lives. This one will um, not only affect us, but in, in affect the whole world. God, we, we have a sanctuary that we want to see filled, not, not to, to, to turn the, the attendance numbers around, but to see this city lit on fire. So there's people in our lives that need to know your name. And so, God, we go as sent ones today. We go as carriers of your glory. We go as carriers of your healing power, God, where you take us and we pray for those that need healing. We go as carriers of your faith. God, we say use us. Let us not be the church that is comfortable in just attendance. Lord, and just uh, showing up, uh, you know, Sunday, Wednesday, and whatever that, but God, give us a fire, light us on fire, that as we are spending time with you, God, as we're learning the practice of, 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 of practicing your presence, Lord, the second most important thing that you mentioned in scripture is loving others. So God, help us love others by carrying your name on our lips. God, reignite that fire in us. In your holy name, in your holy name.